So if you would open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 17, and we'll just continue on. To give just kind of the context, the flow, I have not been in uh, the Acts Bible study and Sunday school study consistently through, so uh, maybe some of you haven't either, but just to give you an overflow, an overview of the context of what's going on. Um, Back in Acts chapter 1, we see um, Jesus before he ascends, what he says to the disciples is, uh, well, actually, they ask him a question. They say, so when they had come together, they said, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the time or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 2, we see the coming of the Holy Spirit given to the church. They begin in the upper room. The the disciples, soon to be apostles, are speaking in other languages. Now, this is the Feast of Pentecost. You have people from all over, Jews from all over the known world, the Roman Empire, coming into this feast because it's one of the required feasts in Israel that you would come to, you travel to. And so it says uh, in 2.5, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from under every nation. They start speaking in these other languages, and they were amazed, saying, Aren't these Galileans that are speaking this way? How is it that we hear each of, our, uh, each of us hearing our native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, which are Greek converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. So Peter preaches the first sermon going through the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures, And he says, you have crucified him. And they say, what must we do after they were cut to the heart? And he says, repent and believe. I'm sorry, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. You'll be given the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and for those who are afar off, meaning the Gentiles, the nations, of whom are represented here in this place at Pentecost, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. So the point of the message, like Jesus says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. It wasn't meant like the disciples were saying, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom in Israel? Are we going to have that kingdom like we had with David, only better, with the Messiah here in this one localized place? And Jesus says, be my witnesses, go out, not just in Jerusalem, into Judea and Samaria, all the ends of the earth. So he has all these people representative, and now after the feast, they're going to go out, back to their homeland, hearing this message. Many were saved that day. We see Stephen stoned in chapter 7, Paul giving cons- Saul giving consent to his death, and then in chapter 8, the persecution that arises, chapter 8, verse 1, It says, And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria by God's foreordained plan that they would start going out because of persecution, except the apostles who stayed there. In verse 4 it says, Now those who were scattered about were preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria, so the gospel is now going to Samaria, and he proclaimed to them the Christ. Remember, they had already had a taste of that with the woman at the well in chapter 4 of John where she's, it's revealed to her by Christ, I who speak to you am he, and Jesus stayed there. So he goes down, preaches the Christ, 
And the gospel goes there. And then Peter and John come down. They pray for them and they receive the Holy Spirit. Philip then travels down south to Gaza and he meets up with an Ethiopian eunuch. Okay, in a royal, he's from a royal court in Ethiopia. Has influence of some sort. Goes down. He he's actually reading from the scroll, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah fifty-three, no less. And he explains that's the Christ. He came to suffer, came to die, he rose from the dead. He believes, is baptized, and he takes the gospel down to Ethiopia. Chapter nine, we see the gospel. Even in the midst of the most horrendous persecution, Paul breathing out threats and murder against the disciples, traveling with papers up to Damascus, thinking he's going to grab the, the uh, arrest the Christians that are in Damascus and bring them back to Jerusalem in chains, is actually doing the Lord's work, taking the gospel, unbeknownst to him, up to Damascus. He is, he is blinded, saves, told he is persecuting Christ, for if you persecute the body, you persecute the head. And he at that point, is he's given a vision. Ananias comes to him, and before he goes to him, he, does this, he has this Moses moment. He says, Lord, this is the one who's persecuted your church. You want me to go where? That sort of thing. And he says, God says to Ananias before he goes to, to Paul, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name to the Gentiles and kings and children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. So this particular apostle will be used to spread the gospel, not just to the Gentiles, but to Gentiles and Jews and kings. Um, And then we see in chapter 10, Peter is given the understanding that the gospel is not just for the Jews, it's for the Gentiles with Cornelius and his house. He goes back, reports it, chapter 11 of Acts, um, the Judaizers or the people in Jerusalem hear it, And everybody rejoices that the gospel is now being preached to the Gentiles as well. Paul, speed it up a little bit. Paul then goes on his first missionary journey with Barnabas. They go from synagogue to synagogue and they preach. They hit the microphone. They preach. And uh, they preach. And in, in all their travels, they're preaching to the Jews first. And then they're preaching to the Greeks. And many more Greeks, a lot of the time, are being saved than the Gentiles. And so where we find ourselves now, and we're also after the uh, Jerusalem Council, where we find ourselves now is in the second missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas having a sharp dispute split. Um, Barnabas takes uh, John Mark in the same route that they went on their first missionary journey. Paul goes another way, kind of up and around this way, and goes through... South Galatia, which is the, the place where they went last time, uh, where he was stoned. He went through Derbe, Lystra, Iconium, Pisidia, Antioch. He continues on towards Macedonia, and God, through the Holy Spirit, tells him not to go in certain places. Don't go down here to Asia. Don't go up there to Bithynia. And then they travel across after they have a vision of the Macedonian man come and preach to us. He goes to Macedonia. He goes to Philippi, preaches, um, Cast out the demon and that woman like we saw last week and uh, are beaten, put in jail. God does a miracle, opens up uh, the heart of the Philippian jailer. <clears throat> and then they leave and now they're headed where we're at <clears throat> in Acts chapter 17. So let's read chapter 17 verses 1 through 9. And then we're going to go into Berea chapter 17 verses 10 through 15 after. 
It says, Now when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer um, and rise from the dead. This Jesus, saying, this Jesus who I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So they're in Philippi, about 90 miles away from Thessalonica. There's this major Roman highway going east to west uh, called the Ignatian Way. And they travel, they go from Philippi, I'm doing this like mirror image. They're going from Philippi west over to Amphipolis, which is about 30 miles away, over to Apollonia, 30 miles away, and then finally landing in Thessalonica. Um, They think that probably they just stopped there for the night. There's no mention that they stopped and preached or there was a synagogue there. So probably three days' time they get there. And they go into Thessalonica. Thessalonica is the capital city of Macedonia. This is the New York City of the area. It's a metropolis. There's 200,000 people there. It's the commercial city um, of, of, the, of the country. Uh, there's another huge city south that we're going to get to next week called Athens, which is more the religious, the cultural sort of city. But this one, is, in terms of commercial, this was the big city. Paul was going there, and it was, no, it was no accident that he was going there because what better place to preach, to preach the gospel and get the gospel out but to a place where there's a melting pot of different people and localized. So as was his custom, he goes to the synagogue. And we've seen that um, in many different places. After Paul's uh, saved in Acts chapter 9, he immediately goes into the synagogue and he preaches that Jesus is the Son of God. Chapter 13, 5, in Cyprus... He goes into the town, goes to the synagogue. In Pisidia, Antioch, chapter 13, he goes into the synagogue. 14, in Iconium, he goes into the synagogue. Turn back with me to Luke chapter 4, if you would. Keep your finger there. Luke chapter 4. Verse 16. Jesus is just beginning his earthly ministry. It says... And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up and he read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, and he unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, and he has set me to proclaim liberty to the captives, and recovery, recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he sits down and says, he says, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So Paul, probably taking his 
um, style from Jesus. I mean, it was the custom for any Jew to go to the synagogue on, on the Sabbath. But it was his custom because it was probably Christ's custom to do this also. And you'll, you're going to see the same sort of pattern. Whenever Paul would get into a, a new area, going to the synagogue, you'd see him preach. There would be people who believed. There would be opposition. And then they would move on. There was preaching. There was belief. There was opposition. Then they move on over and over again. Same thing with Christ. He goes in there. He preaches. Don't think in that case anybody believed. But they tried to throw him off a cliff. And he moved on. Same sort of thing. Christ said, the servant is not above his master. If they persecute me, they are going to persecute you. Same sort of thing is going to happen to you. So Paul goes in as is his custom. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. So three, three Sabbath days. So for three weeks, he went week after week. It doesn't say if it's consecutive. There's people in commentaries who say that he was there maybe four to six months, but out of these, these three particular times he went in. Um, and his message was the same. He went in and he preached Christ. You have an understanding of who the Christ is. Everybody had an, a wrong understanding of who the Christ was. The Jews in Jerusalem themselves, the Pharisees who knew the law better than anyone, supposedly, did not have an idea of who the Christ really was going to be and what he was there to do. Okay, so he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Turn back, if you would, to chapter 14. If we want to get, we don't know exactly what Paul preached and what text he used from uh, when he preached here in Thessalonica, but we see, uh, I'm sorry, chapter 13. We see Paul enter Antioch in Pisidia. This is the other Antioch, not the one where they were first called Christians. So we get kind of a window. This is Paul's first recorded sermon, 13. Chapter 13, verse 14, it says, On the Sabbath day they went into the synagogue and sat down. After the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them, saying, Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So the people stood up. I'm sorry. And so Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, and then he, can, he goes from the scriptures, from Moses all the way to Christ, and he expounds Christ. And so... We can imagine, just from this one sermon, the, the different texts he's pulling from. He heavily emphasizes David. Um, he goes from, uh, from David to David's son, Christ, and he preaches Christ. Look at verse 38. It says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. So he is giving the gospel. He's particularly, like Pilate saying, behold the man, he's particularly holding up Christ. Behold, this is Christ. This is who Christ is and who he said he was going to do. He maybe perhaps took him back to Isaiah 53. This is the servant that would come. It wouldn't be one who would just come and set up an earthly kingdom. This is, that would happen, but this is one who is coming to suffer. Because what, who would be in his kingdom if he had not come first to die for those people that they might be able to be his people in the kingdom? Um, I mean, that's, that's the core and the center of everything we do. Uh, the reason we're saved, the reason we come to church. Um, you are hopefully all saved here, and you know the gospel. You've heard it. But as we see 
Paul doing time and time again, encouraging the believers, encouraging the brothers. We have a story that we're a part of that's thousands of years old. And an encouragement I just want to give this morning is that all of us are part of that story because we have trusted in this Christ. We have, uh, as it says in the song, we have been in the dungeon, we have been chained, but the dungeon is flamed with light, our chains have fallen off, our heart has been set free, we have risen, we have walked and followed him, okay? So we are part of this, this, uh, this same story. So be encouraged that we are believing in a Christ that has fully paid for all of our sins with his precious blood. There's nothing in us that, is, um, that will be counted against us on the last day when we stand before him if we're in Christ. All of our sin has been atoned for. There's nothing left when he says it is finished. Be encouraged that it is finished. This is the Christ. Christ has fully paid for it. And so may we be encouraged. We are the result of the preaching of this book of Acts 2,000 years later. The message is still being preached. May we be encouraged. So he preaches who the Christ is. Verse 4, it says, Some of them were persuaded by his teaching, and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, taking some of the wicked men of the rabble. They formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out from the crowd. You see this sort of... um, If you you were to look at Jesus' trial the morning of his execution, same sort of idea. You have the Pharisees bringing him in, doing an unlawful trial. And they're standing before Pilate. And let me just turn back there, John chapter 19. Standing before Pilate. Right. He says to them, Behold your king. And they cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So they delivered him over to be crucified. In Matthew, it talks about the crowd being stirred up. Pilate was afraid that a riot was going to break out. The same sort of thing. You see the same thing in, um, when Paul is stoned in Lystra in the first missionary journey. The Jews from Iconium and Pisidia, Antioch, travel over. They stir up the crowds in Lystra, who had just been worshiping them like they were gods. And just by what they were spreading, it was causing division and causing uproar. And they turn on Paul, pull him outside the city, and stone him. So this Jason, who it's speaking of in chapter 17, Jason is, is like Lydia, having them at their house. And it says... Um, they brought him out to the crowd, and when they, could find, when they could not find Paul and Silas, they had probably caught wind of it and went and hid somewhere else, or perhaps they had left at that point. They dragged Jason instead and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. And Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. So we see... Um, we see that the authorities there, the same thing with Pilate. You know, like you read the, the account of Pilate. Pilate did not want trouble in his province, you know, 
for him to give in a little bit, for anyone proclaiming, I am the king, that was a big deal. For these uh, government officials, the same thing. It was a big deal. They did not want to give in and let, let there be any shadow of doubt from the Roman Empire, from Caesar, that this province has allowed someone to actually proclaim themselves as king. And so, but unlike Philippi, as we saw last week, Philippi, they cast out this, this demon from this servant girl, and immediately the, the government officials stripped them and beat them and put them in prison. It's seem, seemingly really unjust and strange. And th- these ones are more, more sane, actually. They actually just take money from Jason, and they send them on their way. But in that agreement, they had to, they had to leave. They couldn't stay. But key in on this word in verse 6, in this, in this uh, sentence, it says, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. We don't know if they had heard of the missionary journeys to all the different synagogues um, in Galatia. We don't know if it was just from them stopping in Macedonia and Philippi and preaching only there. These men had some boldness and the power of the Holy Spirit that they would be well-known all over the world, especially with you know, the lack of information. That could, I mean, not the lack of information. The information that could travel at slower speeds than it can nowadays. They were... Paul was relentless. I mean... The Holy Spirit in these men caused boldness to be able to preach when they had prior, uh, like Peter, had been coward, coward and would not stand up for Christ. Okay? We have the boldness of the Holy Spirit. Paul, being stoned outside the city in Lystra, stands up, goes back in. Would you have done that? Goes back in. He doesn't just, like, move on to the next city. He goes back in. Then he goes to Derbe, he preaches, and then he's like, I need to encourage the brothers. Goes back to Lystra again, then moves back to um, all the different places that had persecuted him and preached. So these men have turned the world upside down. See, they thought that the world was upside down with the preaching of the gospel. The truth is, with with the entrance of the fall into humanity, the world is upside down. And they were turning it right side up. That was the difference. But to them it was upside down. To darkness it's going to be that they're preaching, they're preaching things that are backwards. But that's the kingdom of God, right? So, verse 8, it says, And the people in the city authorities were disturbed when they had heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. So now, let's read verses 10 through 15. Um, in regards to the city of Berea. It says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they had arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them believed, therefore, uh, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea, also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas, Timothy, I'm sorry, and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. One thing we could do if we had the time, if we were to back up to Thessalonica, is you could actually... It's really interesting to read the Thessalonian account and then go to the first Thessalonians and kind of see how Paul discusses 
kind of what he was thinking when he was in Thessalonica and how he, he refers to them being torn apart and having to leave to go to Berea as Satan actually doing the tearing. It's very interesting. And you could do that with all these different you know, places that he stops in. Um, but now they're going to travel off the beaten path. That People actually thought that there's a thinking that Paul on the Ignatian Highway could have traveled all the way to the Macedonian coast, gotten on a boat, and traveled over to Rome. He said multiple times, particularly in the Book of Romans, that I, I wanted to go to you. I mean, he wanted to set his, his travels to Rome. The Ignatian Highway would have taken him in that direction. But the fact that he could have met up with Jews, hearing what had just happened in two different major cities, um, probably could have been trouble. The Holy Spirit allowed them to go off of that course and set them south. So they start going southwest towards Berea. Berea is kind of like off the beaten path, smaller city, kind of boondocks out there. You have Metropolis versus Berea. But interesting, Paul does the exact same thing. There's enough of a Jewish presence to have a Jewish synagogue there. He goes into the synagogue, and and Luke points out for us that these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? It says, they received the word with all eagerness, Explain, I'm sorry, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So whereas the, Thessalon, the Thessalonians would hear the word week by week, it's like they would come back each, each Friday, Saturday, that's the Jewish Sabbath, would consider it and then go home. These guys actually pulled out their scrolls. <laughs> well, scrolls. I don't know if it was this way or this way. We don't know. But, and would actually go to the text and see, okay, I hear what you're saying, but I'm going to check this because I believe the word is infallible, it's inerrant. I'm going to look for myself to see if what you're saying is true. And so Luke commends the, the practice of this, saying that it's more noble, a more noble behavior than those in Thessalonica. So we always we have Berean Christian bookstore. We have be a Berean. We, we say this all the time. It's kind of fallen to our Christianese of Berean. And to clarify the thing that makes you Berean uh, is you're from Berea. Okay. <laughs> but we, what, what we need to take from this, what, what he's saying that makes them noble is that they don't just, we don't want to be those who just hear and just say, okay, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds good. That sounds more like the Thessalonians. Praise God, Paul was preaching sound things, <laughs> you know, right things. But they took everything in, opened it up, and said, yeah, you just quoted Psalm 2. I see it right there. Okay. Isaiah 52, 53. Yeah, I see that. You know? And it says, after that, it says, many, verse 12, many of them therefore believed. There's no coincidence in that. I mean, I mean God is going, you could have someone with a hardened heart opening up the scriptures, checking it out, um, and them not believing. But... God works this way. He opened up, they opened up the scriptures, saw it plain in the text, and they had eagerness. So many of them believed, with not a few of the Greek women of high standing, as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. So same sort of pattern, preaching, belief, opposition, moving on, same sort of idea. So Paul preaching the same Christ as before 
opening up the scriptures as before, it causes the Thessalonians 40 miles away to, to hear about it. Turn back. I, I wanted to do this earlier because it was a really cool cross-reference scripture that was helpful. Go to Luke chapter 24, where we see Jesus, is, Jesus Christ is risen this day, this particular day. There's two men walking on the road to Emmaus. One's named Cleopas. We don't know the other one's name. And you have this really sort of almost comical meeting, conversation. In verse 18, it says, Then one of them named Cleopas answered and said, Are you the only visitor in Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he who was a... I'm sorry. And he said to them, Jesus said to them, What things? And he said to them, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. Now listen to this. This is his understanding of who the Christ would be. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. You had to have a tweaking. In, he, the Christ was to suffer and then raise from the dead. And you will see this a little, a little bit later. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day that these things have happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb in, early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back and saying that they had seen uh, a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Just like Paul said to the Thessalonians, Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Same pattern. Paul goes in and he said, was it not necessary that the Christ had to suffer and raise from the dead? And then from Moses to all of the prophets, he expounded and explained the scriptures, reasoning from them. I mean, that's what Paul's doing. That's what they're doing, going from place to place. The Jews who are hardened hear this, come over to Berea, back in chapter 17. And so, verse 14, it says, Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there. So, they're not too far from the sea, so they traveled down south. Just with Paul, some, some of the brothers who were made in Berea, traveled down to the coast. And they either stayed on a, a roadway and traveled by road down to Athens, or they got on a boat. Either way, he got to Athens. And Paul and Sil- I'm sorry, Silas and Timothy remained there. Verse 15, those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. So Paul is targeted um, because he's the main spokesman. It's not that Silas and Timothy are not doing anything, but he is the one, obviously, who is preaching. He is the, the visible one, the one who's most heard, and so his life is most in danger. So he travels down to Athens, now, just, just the overall scope, like where this, where this has headed since Acts 2,000 years ago, where we're at right now, like I said before, is the, the gospel has gone out. We are in a completely different continent. 2,000 years later, the gospel has gone out. There are churches all over, 
and the gospel is still going out, and it will go out until the end when the fullness of the Gentiles come in. Fullness of the Jews, fullness of the Gentiles, the last person is saved, and Christ will come. Okay? And it is, it is his plan to make and remake a people for himself. When he created Adam and Eve in the garden, he created them bearing his image, holy, and they were to be fruitful and multiply. Spread all over the whole earth, you know, possibly. Um, but they fell, sin entered the world, the image was marred, and from then on, God gave a promise, I'm going to send one who's going to crush the head of the serpent, and his, bruise, his heel will be bruised in the process. And this people I'm going to make are not going to be people who multiply by birth, but by new birth. And these people are going to be... It's interesting that at, at the beginning, they're in a garden, and he says, be fruitful and multiply. And Christ raises from the dead, and he makes a new creation, and he's in a garden. And it's, encu- it, it's encouraging to us that we get to see um, this second Adam now making a new people, citizens of a heavenly country. We're pilgrims going through this place. And one day we will end up standing before our king, our chief shepherd, the shepherd of our souls, And we'll be praising him forever and ever and ever. And what it will look like is in Revelation chapter 5, our song will be a new song, and what it will be will be something like this. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And this will be our reaction on that day. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor, and glory, and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. So he will make a new people by new birth, by his Holy Spirit. And he will, who, who he has given to bear his image, as we're being made into the image of Christ day by day by his grace. And one day we will stand before him blameless, completely holy, and we will worship him. And it will not just be Jews, it will be Gentiles, like most of us, included in to the promises. So be encouraged that this, this story that started in the beginning, that was preached in Thessalonica and in Berea, the story is our story, and it continues on. It's not just a Bible story that we teach our kids. This is a real story. This is our, this is our heritage. This is where we came from. We're not just like in the middle of the ocean on a floaty. And we came from nowhere. This is all that is, all that ever was. You know what I mean? It's easy to think that. It's easy to think that. But we come from a long line. And we're recipients of all that God has done. We get to look back and just recite the story. That's, I, I believe in what God has done, his promises. Um, so may we fix our eyes on Christ. May he be our, um, what we survey. May we, may we fix it on Christ. He is enough. He is good.
Let's pray.